0: Well, how are you doing today? You guys ready to go? Uh, we're going to be going into a time of teaching right now. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors. Every week uh, during this time of teaching, we reach inside of our program. And uh, whether you're here uh, in our interim worship center or at the back, back there over in the summit, our live video venue, uh, uh, all works the same. Reach in, pull out. You're looking for a green and white sheet that's kind of a, a note sheet that helps you follow along. And uh, that, that'll make the, the message much more meaningful. And so if you guys are ready to go, uh, I'm ready to jump. Are you ready, ready to head, take, uh, take off? Okay, let's pray. God, we're excited to be here and talking about this incredibly important topic of, of marriage and, and what your vision for it is and what it takes to make it work. And so I just pray that you'd come and give me great clarity as I speak. you give us ears to hear as a church as we kind of recapture your vision for relationships in our life. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we started just a couple of weeks ago It's called the Genesis Chronicles, the Pursuit of Life. And uh, for those of you who are brand new, this is actually the second in a trilogy of series on the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 3. And so if you were here for the first series, it was called The Story Begins. In that first series, Moses lays out this kind of in the opening chapter of Genesis, this big picture uh, description of the creation of the cosmos. We're introduced to this amazing God who, as I've often said, He's uh, powerful He is brilliant, he is creative, he's personal, he's generous, he's beautiful, and he's completely good. Uh, That out of his love, uh, creates, speaks the creation into existence, all the raw materials, and then over the next six days, whether we see those, whether you see them as like six literal 24-hour days, you see them as six longer eras of time, or even six days of a seven-day literary format that was often used in ancient times to describe epic events. For the next six days, he just carefully uh, forms and then fills this creation in preparation for us as our first home. And so, the, the first series was this big picture description of the creation of the whole cosmos. Okay, in the second series, what Moses is doing is he's zooming in. Uh, think Google Earth. He's zooming in to a particular place in time that's part of that larger cosmos. To a specific place where he's going to create, God is going to give us more information about the creation of the first human couple and this first home that he's creating in this amazing nature preserve that we call a garden, a garden of Aden in Hebrew or garden of Eden. And so what we're doing in this series is really going back when the world was young to recapture God's vision for our race in several different areas of our life. What was God's vision when he created us? And what does it look like to pursue the life we were created to live uh, that's been uh, kind of recaptured for us through Christ, uh, some now and some in the next life? And so the topic on the table today is uh, marriage. And for some of you, you're very excited about that. Could not wait till this week. Some of you, less so. Um, and uh, so in a room like this, uh, we've got all different kinds of people, right? We've got some of you are single, some of you are married, some of you are once married, uh, uh, some of you would like to be married, some of you never want to be married again. Uh, we've got like different kinds of people. And what I want to say as we start is that this is one of the most important topics we could be talking about regardless of your current marital situation because here, here's what I know, that if you're single... Um, and, and you may not know this, but before I came to Rocky Peak, I led one of the largest single ministries in the nation uh, for nine years, and, uh, and so have a tremendous experience working with single adults. And what I found is that the vast majority, I'd say 95% of single adults, if I were to say to you, hey, if, if God brings you the right person at the right time in the right way, and you know it from God, would you want to be married? The 95% of single adults I know would say, yes. Uh, I, I would. Uh, and, and so for you, as we talk about marriage, and we're actually be talking about this for three weeks. We're going to have this week, uh, next week, then we're taking two weeks off as we leave this facility, move in the new facility, and then we'll come back for a third final week once we're there. But, but as we enter in this time, for those of you who are currently single, what I want to challenge you is this is incredibly important for you going to to get a clear vision of God's vision for marriage and what it takes to merit work because if God brings you a person, you need to be prepared. But even for those of you who are single and say, I never want to be married or I feel a call of God in my life to celibacy or for whatever reason, I'm not able to be married, whatever the deal is, uh, that this, I don't think it's is in, in the cards. Marriage is such an important part of God's plan for our race we're all surrounded by marriages. It's extremely important, especially in a culture that's questioning the relevancy of marriage and the makeup of marriage that we understand as followers of Jesus, God's vision for this very important relationship, all right? So whether we're single or whether we're married, I think you're going to find this uh, very compelling in the next three weeks. And even if you're single, you're going to find a lot of things you're going to be able to apply to your life. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to jump in and we're going to go back to Genesis 2. And we're going to take a second look at these verses that specifically refer to this first human relationship. And I've got to tell you this, these passages we're going to be looking at today is probably, it may be the most important passage in all the Bible on marriage. It's the one that constantly, Jesus and the New Testament constantly come back to this passage to talk about, hey, this is God's vision. This is what it takes to make it work. So if you have your Bibles, your apps or whatever, let's go ahead and open up to chapter 2. There in your note sheet, you have a section called Marriage 101, the first couple, and we're going to pick it up at verse 20. So let me set this up. Uh, If you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about this, that uh, in chapter 2, as God creates the first man, Adam, remember Adam, uh, Adam in Hebrew means man, so he creates the first man. Uh, and he begins to give him assignments. One of his first assignments was to name the animals. Remember, I said there's several reasons for this. Uh, Number one, if he's going to rule as king over creation, which was his assignment, he needs to know the creation. So this is going to get familiar with his area, the realm. He's going to meet the animals, so to speak. Uh, Secondly, it's a sign of his rule or authority or leadership. Remember, we said that in the ancient world, to name something is a sign of rule. But God also has another motive. That in assigning him this task, he's helping Adam to realize there's something missing from my life. As he's, as he's naming the animals, and like we said, it may have taken a long time, uh, that, that, that he's really something is missing from my life. And so we pick it up at chapter 2 and verse 20, and Moses says So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Uh, this word, uh, helper, um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. It's the word um, Ezer, uh, E-Z-E-R in Hebrew. It's a strong word. Uh, God is often refers to Himself as a helper. Like God is our helper in the Old Testament. It's a very strong word. So He says, "I, I, I'm, um, I will make a helper uh, uh, for Him." So uh, for Adam, no su- suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep. Kind of puts him out like anesthet- anesthesia. And while he's sleeping, he takes one of the man's ribs, and in the Hebrew, it's "sedek," it. it means his side, part of his side, so it'd be bone, flesh, whatever. He takes part of his, part of his uh, makeup. And, uh, and he closed up the place with flesh, and then the Lord God made a, a woman from the rib. He'd taken out of the man. He brings her to the man, and the man says, whoa. Yeah. Right. So that's not in the original. Um I love how there's one translation, the New Living Translation. I love how it translates this. It translates this at last, and there's this sense of, "Are you serious? Like this is awesome. Like I need to get me one of those. Like I, I nothing like I've been watching animals, right? <laughs> it's like this is amazing. Right? So, uh, so he's blown away. But I want you to see what he says right away. He says, uh, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, she's made out of me. Like she came from me. She's part of me. And so she'll be called woman. And notice that man is now naming the woman. There's something significant here. All through Scripture we see this, that there's a leadership role in families and marriages for the husband. We see it all through the Bible. It's a a leadership of love, right? Like Jesus loves the church. Husbands are to love their wives, lay down their lives. But it's a clear leadership role. see it all the way through. And so he names her. And this is interesting because he says, She will be called um, woman, which in Hebrew is Isha, I-S-H-A-H, Isha. um, For she was taken out of man, which in Hebrew is Ish. And so from Ish comes Isha. Now, then Moses comments, for this reason, in other words, because the woman was taken from the man, um, a man will leave his father and mother, notice his woman, his, or his uh, home of origin, uh, he'll be united to his wife, uh, cling to his wife, we'll talk about that more later, uh, the word is devok, we'll talk about that, and they'll become one flesh, which is speaking of much more than just physical union. Uh, Which is an important part of it, but it's speaking of one life, right? It's a a shared life. We're going to share it at every uh, level—physically, emotionally, intellectually, uh, uh, relationally, financially, and so on. Um, And so, and the man and the wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And so Moses paints this incredible picture of this first garden, God's vision. We have this amazing God. Right, who's, who's bright and creative and all that, we've described that, who out of his love creates this first nature preserve, creates a man and a woman to share life together, and, and they, their goal, their, their commission is to rule together as a first king and queen over creation, and I want you to catch this. There is no conflict. There's no conflict. Uh, there is joy, there is purpose, there is meaning, they've got a job to do, they're in love with one another, and they're completely naked, which is a, just a picture of the freedom that they have. It's like there's, there's no insecurity. There is no body consciousness. There's no shame. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong in this creation. It's this incredible vision of these two people created to share life together, to rule together as the first king and queen over creation as friends and as lovers. Right? So we're going to come back to that today. But what I want to do now is... Uh, Uh, I want to come back and I want to highlight three important principles about God's vision for marriage and what it takes to make it work that are going to sustain us, support us, lead us every step of the way in in this three messages we deal on marriage, right? So this is going to lay a foundation. We will build on these in the week to come, but they'll be important for us just as starting points today. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Marriage 101, Recapturing the Vision. And so I want to jump in. And again, whether you're single or married, I think you're going to find application for this as we go through. I'll be addressing you both as we go through. So here's the first thing. The first thing that jumps out to me is that marriage is a gift. As you read this passage, the first thing that jumps out is that marriage is a gift. Now, based on your life experience, this may seem to be true, or not so true. And I'm not talking just about your particular marriage, right? But I'm talking just about your broader life experience, the home you were raised in, uh, the, the the family members you have now. If you're if you're older, you have sons married sons and daughters. Uh, answer uncles co-workers right marriage is under attack in our culture today uh, many people are questioning the relevance we understand that is one out of every two marriages going to end in divorce there's a question is this really a good thing but what I want you to catch is that marriage was designed to be this incredible gift and you see this in a variety of ways one of the first ways you see it is what God says in chapter 2 and verse 18 and I want us to look at that We we, we didn't start there and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but in, in 2.18, and so let's set it up, right? Like, God has created Adam, right? Created the dust. He's created this incredible nature preserve, this incredible this incredible world. He's, he's put him there, uh, and there's all these fruits and trees, and it's beautiful. River runs through it, incredible place. And all of a sudden, you get to verse 18, and, and the Lord God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that if you were reading straight through Genesis just sitting down, reading out loud, you would get to this point in just two or three minutes, right? Three or four minutes, it wouldn't be very long. And, and if you were reading it that way, it would hit you like a ton of bricks. Because as we've been reading through chapter one, seven times we saw that as God creates each, each next stage of creation, as he stands back like a craftsman, master craftsman standing back from his work, he says, it is what? Good. So seven times like a resounding drumbeat God creates. It is good. And He creates and 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 it's good. And He creates and it's good. And He creates the last time and it's very good. And so over and over again, you're like, whoa, this is amazing creation. And Then we get into chapter two, and we zoom in, Google Earth thing, and it's like, now out of this barren land, God creates a special nature preserve, and it's just, it is lush, and we've got the river running through it, we've got beautiful trees, we've got delicious trees, you can eat as much as you want, and it's just, everything is good, and he creates a man, and he, he gives him his first instructions, and all of a sudden, you come to 2.18, and you're reading along, and it says... The Lord God said, it is not what? Good. And if you're reading that for the first time, it's like, whoa, what just went wrong? What in this creation is wrong? Like, this is blowing me away. Something is not good. What is it? And it's not something that God created. It's the lack of something he's about to create. And God says, this is not good. See, we were created in the image of God. And as we learned in our first series, God is triune. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has lived in community with Himself, a community of love and service and adoration, mutual relationship for all eternity. And we are created in His image. We are created for a relationship. And as God looks at the situation, it's all set, it's all perfect. There is one thing missing. There is no one for Adam to share his life with, and he says, "This is not good." And so God is going to create a very special person that is like Adam but unlike Adam, um, that to share life with as his first king and queen of creation. And so, as we look at this first opening picture, I want you to catch this: there is no conflict in this relationship. This is not a strange relationship. These are two people who love one another. They're their best friends. Uh, they're sharing life together. They're ruling in this incredible place. I mean, what's not to like? Incredible vision, right? And this is what I This is God's vision for, for marriage, this shared life. And so, uh, and so we see this all the way through scripture. And so, for example, when you get to a book of Proverbs, you know, written by Solomon, uh, it says a lot about marriage. Now, remember this: Proverbs is written as advice from a father to a son, right? And so, uh, so Proverbs is always written, hey, my son, my son, my son. And so you're going to get it from the male perspective. But the flip side is equally true. Like what is said for fathers to sons is true like for mothers to daughters. And so as we go through here, there in your note sheet, I put some examples. Uh, in Proverbs 12, it says, a wife of noble character. So this, uh, a wife of great character. She, she loves God. Uh, she loves her husband uh, she's a woman of integrity, a woman you can trust. She's a hard-working work, person. She's financially responsible. She shows initiative. and all. She's noble, right? She cares about the poor. And so, so a wife of noble character is her husband's what? Crown one of his greatest gifts. You go to the next one, Proverbs 15. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, right? Like if you have wealthy parents. Um, but a prudent wife is from what? From whom the Lord, right? It's a gift. Uh, Proverbs 31, a wife of noble character, who can find? In other words, there's not a lot of them out there, right? Uh, It says, but she is worth far more than what? She's a gift. You know, in the New Testament, you move to the New Testament, you get to chapter five of Ephesians. And Paul says something amazing. What Paul says is that when God created marriage in the garden. One of the reasons he created it is it was to be a visible object lesson of the kind of relationship that God wants with his people. That's amazing. Like, in other words, in this creation, God says, I want something in the creation to be a visible representation of the kind of relationship I want with people. And he says, "So oh, this relationship is going to be marriage. Like, this and so, so this is what, this is why you see in the Old Testament, God often compares himself to the husband of Israel. This is why you see in the New Testament, why Jesus is called the groom and we are, the, the body of Christ is called the bride of Christ, right? Is that, so I want you to catch this, kind of a sidebar here. This is why as Christ followers, it is so important that we pursue God and figure this marriage thing out because marriage is designed, it's not just about you, it's not just about your family, or your kids. Marriage is designed to be a picture of this is the relationship God wants with people. And so when the world looks on and as Christ follows, our marriages are falling apart or breaking up, guess what? It's like, a, it's like a statement that the gospel doesn't work. Because the gospel is all about reconciliation, isn't it? It's about us being restored to relationship with God and restored to relationship with one another. And, and so our marriage is to be a visible image of that relationship God wants with us. And we, and we as Christ followers, when our marriages aren't working, when our marriages are breaking up when they're going through divorce, it's a denial of the gospel. It's like this whole Jesus thing doesn't work. Because in the most important relationship of life, if Jesus can't help you with that, then he's not who he claims to be. And so as followers of Jesus and as a church, it's important we understand this as single or uh, as married that there's a lot at stake writing on our marriages. And it's much bigger than just your marriage or your kids or your life or your future. This is the message of Jesus. Like our marriage are like a billboard advertising Jesus. And that can be either an attractive billboard or a, hey, run for your life billboard. Right? Jesus, run for your life. Or Jesus, look what he can do. You see, so there's a lot at stake. So what I want you to catch here is that when God chooses, he says, I want, I want to tell you what the kind of relationship I want with you. He says, I want a human relationship to reflect that. He says, that was his vision. And so what I want you to catch is this is God's vision of marriage, incredible relationship, king and queen, ruling together, friends as lovers, amazing. Vision, all right. So marriage is designed to be a gift, and you might say, "Well, I'm not experiencing that." Well, that just means you're on the wrong page. It's the wrong design, right? We're, we're owner's manuals. We're, we've kind of thrown it away. Or something's going wrong. But his vision is this sheer life. Okay, so it's designed to be a gift. Now, let me say this too before we go on. As much as we say it's a gift, I want to be really clear that it's not the only gift, uh, because often, even in Christian circles. We can act as just the key to life, the path of fulfillment is being married. You see this oftentimes. Married people will pressure uh, single people. When are you getting married? When are you getting your life? I, I was talking with one lady last night who God's called into to ministry in a cross-cultural situation. When she comes home, her mom's are like, "You know, when are you getting married?" Right? No, my mom's got to like, "No, no, you get, the path of fulfillment is marriage." And I want you to catch this. As followers of Jesus, the path to fulfillment is a relationship with Jesus, not marriage. And when you try to make marriage the secret of your fulfillment, you're putting a weight on it. It was never designed to bear. And so, for example, in the New Testament, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul talk about this. That different people have their different gifts. Like 1 Corinthians 7 Paul says, hey, uh, he says, you know, some of, it, some of you are called to be married. That's a gift. He says, some of us are called to be single, whether it's for a season or for a lifetime. And he says, and they're both gifts, right? And so it's not the path to, to fulfillment. And so when you think of it, Jesus was single, right? Was he unfulfilled? No. Oh, Jesus, you'd be perfect if you could just, you know, get married, uh, uh. You know that there was people in his life telling him, you know? I mean, it's Jewish culture, right? Hey, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Uh, the Apostle Paul was single, you know, fulfilled. And so catch this. Uh, for, for those of you who are single, um, this is such an important thing that you embrace that calling that God has in your life right now, and you don't rush into something, you know, out of false pressure. Um, you know, after, for working with single adults, uh, hundreds and thousands of single adults for nine years, one of the things I would often tell them is I get it. That being single uh, when you don't want to be single, when you want to be, when being single is one of the greatest pains in life, it's, it's very hard. And you know what the pain is? The pain is loneliness. It's a loneliness that's like bone deep. There are times where you just feel like you're just, like you're just going to die. This is so painful. And there's no question that it's a very real and it's a very difficult thing at times. But I would often tell single adults, you know what, there is a greater pain than being single and lonely. And that is being married and lonely. Because when you're in a bad marriage, um, it feels like there's no hope. When you're single, it's like, hey, maybe God can bring some of my life, meet that need. But when you're married and a bad marriage has been bad for a long time, you don't see any change. It's extremely painful. It feels like there's no way out, right? So I, w- I want you to catch this: that as followers of Jesus, we all have our different callings. We all have different have our different uh, gifts. There's different seasons and whatever. Marriage is not the court, the, the secret of fulfillment. Uh, relationship with Jesus is that secret to fulfillment. We have we have different things. So what I'm saying is, marriage is a gift. I don't mean it's the only gift, but it's designed to be a gift and a great gift. Uh, and for most of us, it'll probably be the path that we're we're on now. Number two. So marriage is designed this incredible gift, and you say, "Well, what's the goal? What's God's vision for marriage?" And I would put it this way: that the goal, the goal of marriage, is a shared life. God's vision is a shared life. In other words, when you say, "Then God, in this perfect world, in this perfect," going back to the garden, um, what was your vision? Uh, it was a shared life that this would this this two this this first man this first woman would be a king and queen rule together over creation as friends and as lovers that they would share their lives together and it shared at every level not physically emotionally spiritually psychologically relationally financially it'd be a shared life now you see this right in the text and you see this in the way that the woman is created. Um, If you were here a couple weeks ago, we watched how Adam was created, back in chapter 2 and verse 7, where God, uh, it's a very poetic description, where Moses kind of describes God as if he's a human being and like kneeling down in the dust like a, a craftsman or a potter, kind of gathering together dust. Forming together the first man and then like almost like CPR, breathing into him the breath of life. And we talk about very poetic, very beautiful, very personal, very intimate, unlike the creation of anything else, there's this personal connection where, where God creates the first man, right? So that's how God creates the first man, out of the dust, the, uh, the, the adam, the adam, the man is created out of the of the dust, and that's how the first man. But this is really interesting. What's interesting to me is how the first woman was created. And for those of us who have been longtime believers, often we miss the obvious, right? Because we're so familiar with something, we don't ask questions. If you were reading this for the first time, I think it would jump out. and say, "Look, well, this is really interesting. He makes the woman totally different. I think if I had if never read this, here's what I'd expect. He'd create the man. He says, it's not good for her to be alone. She so says, okay, let's create the woman. He gets down in the dust again, gets some dirt together, creates a second one, a little bit different, makes sure these people fit together and all that, right? Okay, uh, it's a little different. And then he like brings, go, here she is, breathes into her, here she is. Like, that's what I'd expect. Maybe just make 10 or 20 of them, you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, you go with you, and you go with you, and you go with you. But it's not how he does it. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but this is very profound. He does not create the woman the way he created the man. The man comes from the dust of the earth The woman comes from the side of the man. And so can you picture this? God comes to Adam and says, Adam, we we need to do some surgery here. I know it's paradise, it won't hurt. Um, And so I just just need to lay down, take a nap, be out for a while. When you wake up, I got a surprise. Just trust me, trust me. Might have a little scar, don't worry about it. And so, so Adam wakes up and he's like, Whoa. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is what I've been looking for. Right? I've been missing this, right? I didn't know I needed this, but this is awesome. But I want you to catch what he says when he when he sees this first woman. He says in verse 23, this is now bone of my what? Bones. This is flesh of my flesh. Now, we're so used to hearing that in weddings or whatever. We kind of pass over. Do you catch what he's saying? Like, are you serious? Like, he gets what God has done. And he says, she's made from me. Like, we're made from the same stuff. We came from the same body. We're part of one another. She's part of me. Like, whoa. And then Moses goes on and says, for this reason, because she was taken from his side, A man will leave his father, mother, be united, his wife, and they'll become one flesh. What's he saying? God could have designed her on her own, could have created her on her own. He doesn't. He takes her from the side. Why? There's a powerful symbolism. Catch it. From the one comes the two. So that the two can come back together and be one. You see, marriage is designed for one life. And, and so this becomes a model of all marriages that will follow. This is like the first wedding. And so, what happens when we see a young couple, an older couple, however, age couple, we see a young couple up in front, pastor there, or whatever, and they're joined in hands and they're facing one another and they're taking their vows, catch this, it is a reenactment of the very first wedding. What is happening in the unseen realm is that two are becoming one, they come from different backgrounds. Different life experiences, different perspectives, different gifts, but they're coming together. Two is becoming to one. And what are they coming together as one? They're coming together, catch this, to rule over creation as friends and as lovers. And I mentioned that phrase several times, but I want to unpack it for you now. Three important words, rule, friends, and lovers. And I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 1, what we learned in the first series is when God created the first man and woman, more than once he said their job was to rule. Remember that? They were to rule over creation. So we talked about this. We talked about that that each of us in our lives has a kingdom. You have a kingdom. I have a kingdom. Your kingdom is that part of your, your world that you have authority over, influence upon, or responsibility for. So you're king. So when God creates you, you he's your creator. You respond to him. He's given you a body. You report to him on that body. You rule that body for him. So Romans 12 says, this is your act of worship, to present yourselves as as living sacrifices, your bodies. He's given us a mind. Hey, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. We're to govern our minds. He's given us certain gifts certain natural talents, certain spiritual gifts. He's given us certain financial resources. He's given us certain time. And it starts there, we're to rule. That's our kingdom. We're to rule that for him. And then it extends out. There's certain relationships we're in. There's a, a career that we've been given. Last week, Dre did a great job. You know that part of our calling is to work. And so you have a job, whether inside the home or not. That's your area where you have authority, an area where you have responsibility, area of influence. We're to rule that for Jesus. Right? We're to recapture that. Um, and then we have relationships. And so we, we have other relationships in our life. That we're responsible for. We have ministries. We have, a, we have a, a community service. We have, you know, and so these anything you have authority over, you have influence over, or you have responsibility for is part of your kingdom. And as followers of Jesus, we are to rule that kingdom for. The creator. Are you following me? You got this concept? Okay, so now, having said that, here's what happens. Every marriage is a merger of kingdoms. Then when you get married, you bring your two kingdoms together, and now you rule as a king and queen over those kingdoms together. If God provides you children, they become part of your kingdom. You are to rule for your creator. But catch this. We are to rule but we're to rule as friends and lovers, not as business partners. This is a picture of the shared life. So, for example, later in the Old Testament, we'll have this amazing love song about romantic relationship and marriage. We call it the Song of Solomon. Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. Very prolific. They're much uh, much, uh, longer than, say, like the Beatles songs. These songs would go on for chapters, right? So he's got like eight chapters, song a song, and it's, it's this love song between this, this new uh, kind, of, kind of man and this woman who are coming together for a lifetime of love uh, in this relationship called marriage, and they're friends. And so you have this dialogue. And so in chapter five, there's this fascinating passage where the girlfriends of the, of the bride are saying, so what's he like? You know, what's it like? You know, some things never change. And so... Um, <laughs> And when you get to chapter five of Song of Solomon, there in your note sheet, so she's describing this relationship. It's pretty intimate here. She's kind of really dishing out some good stuff. And so she says, um, she said, his mouth is sweetness itself. What's she talking about? Well, they've been making love, right? They've been making love and they're kissing and so on. says, his mouth is sweetness itself. By the way, if you like this real intimate stuff, two weeks, uh, third message, sexuality. Here we go. Uh, his, his mouth, is sweetness itself, um, and he is altogether lovely. He's amazing. And then look what she says next. This is my lover, and this is my what, friend? This is the vision. The vision is one man, one woman, for a lifetime of love and commitment, where they share life together at every level, physical Emotional, psychological, intellectual, financially, and together they rule for their creator as friends and lovers. That's the vision. That's what we're trying to get back to. Okay? Now, the third principle, by the way, then our next two messages is exactly what we're going to talk about. Next week we'll talk about the shared life in terms of friendship. And then the last one, when we get into the new building, will be the, the shared life in terms of our sexuality. So then the last principle goes like this, the third principle, is that if you're married, now obviously if you're married, this is not going to be true for you, going to be other relationships that are going to fulfill this in your life, but if you're married, this relationship is your most important relationship. And so if you're married, once you're married, this relationship becomes your most important. Now, this is what Moses is telling us in chapter 2 and verse 24. So let's take a look again. Uh, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Now, catch this. He says, because, the, because from the one has become the two and they're designed to come together as one, um, because they're designed for this shared life, this relationship now becomes your most important relationship. So he says, so a man will leave his father and mother. What's he talking about? Well, in the ancient world, and in many cultures today as well, but in the ancient world, your most important relationship was typically the relationship with your parents. Very strong in ancient cultures to honor your parents. We see that in many cultures still today. That's why we see, for example, in the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment, God's top ten list, the fourth one is to honor honor your mother and father, right? It doesn't say, like, honor your brothers and sisters, aren't you glad? Um, but uh, <laughs> honor your mother and father. It's your most important relationship. And in a, healthy, in a healthy family, you may not have grown up in a healthy family, but in a healthy family, this typically is your most important relationship. Your relationship to your parents is just very, uh, very important to you, right? And so what Moses is saying is that is awesome. Uh, we're to honor our parents. But when you get married, there is a change of status. And there is a leaving that has to take place. Now, it's not necessarily a physical leaving. In fact, as you go through the book of Genesis, you see that normally sons stay with their father in the same tribe. Like Isaac stays with Abraham. Jacob stays with Isaac. Jacob's 12 sons stay with Jacob. He's not about physical, like moving the state or something. Okay, move out of the area. Not only that. He's talking about emotional leaving that there has to be a recognition that there is a new priority here, that my previous priority was this relationship with my parents, but now my new home has top priority in my life. This relationship is my most important relationship. And so here's what I want you to catch. If you and your marriage, or if you're single now and you want to be married and have a great marriage, if you're single, you don't care about being married, but you want to be a source of support to those around you who are married, that rule number one is that this relationship has to become your most important relationship. And this is really interesting because this is one of those kind of guidelines that many of us, uh, I think, violate inadvertently. We don't even realize we're, advi- uh, we're, we're violating it. But what happens is our marriages are struggling. We can't figure out. and It's because we've, we've kind of broken rule number one. And so what I want to do is I want to talk for a few minutes on some of the chief competitors to this shared life that you're going to to experience in your life, that that if you're married or you see marriages around you, one of some of the chief competitors, some of the greatest enemies of oneness. And so there in your note sheet, there's not a section for this because I didn't really know how many I was going to give you. I'm kind of making it up. So uh, (laughs) you could jot them down as we go, all right? So number one competitor, I think the number, what I want to do is just kind of highlight what are three or four of the top most common competitors to someone, to being the top important priority in your life, uh, the the marriage being a top priority. And so number one would be parents, okay? I think top priority, our top uh, competitor would be parents. Now this is not necessarily from the parents, it could come from you, it goes both ways. But catch this, for your marriage to be strong or a marriage to be strong, that everyone has to be understanding this that the, that the that this new relationship is the most important relationship and that's hard for people to get because t- to really make this work everyone's got to get it and there's a lot of people involved like think of this like in, in in like a traditional family and I realize we don't even have many of those left both say that okay you're getting married and this is your first marriage right so you're getting married and then you your parents are were married, and they're still married, and the other your spouse's parents are still married. Okay, so how many people are there in this equation? Six, right? So for this to work, six people have to get this, all right? And so, uh, and if they don't get it, it's going to cause problems. So uh, look, when I was first married, uh, Lynn and I got married young. I was 12. Uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> she was 14, but... She actually signed for me. Uh, no, we were young. I was 19. She was 21. Uh, so she did sign for me. Uh, no, that's not true, but she did buy the alcohol. Uh, no, cake. Uh, hey, Lynn, could you please go get some wine? I'm not old enough. Uh, yes, Michael. Um, uh, when we first get married, uh, we are, you know, we're young, and very early in the marriage, I can't remember it was the first year or two, but it was early, we would often on Friday nights, we lived in Fullerton in Orange County, we'd live in Fullerton, and we would drive across to Fountain Valley, it's by Costa Mesa in Orange County, about 45 minutes, and we would often go over there for dinner, and the reason we did is we had no food, and I was hungry, so we were poor, and uh, so we would go over there and have a good big dinner, and we would often stay and watch TV or just kind of be with my folks, Whatever. And uh, we would often spend the night. And uh, we would you know, not always, but sometimes be late. We'd spend the night there. And this one night, we'd spend the night. And I wake up in the middle of the night, and I've got a very bad pain in my side. And so um, they take me to the ER, and it turns out I've got a really bad case of appendicitis. So they need to do emergency surgery. And so it's kind of a big deal, right? You're not even at your own home. You go to this hospital you don't know anything about. They just pick a surgeon off the next on the list. And, and you're, you know, you know you're, you're going to get the surgery. And so uh, when I'm in the recovery room, I'm coming out of this. And of course, you know, this has been distressing the whole family, everyone, everything's fine. And my mom's, my mom and dad there, Lynn's there. And so they're ready to come in and see me in the recovery room, right? And so my dad reaches out to my mom and pulls her aside and says, wait a second. And she's about to start to walk in the room. He says, wait a second. Says, just remember that Michael is no longer your son. He's Lenny's wife. I mean, Lenny's husband. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my dad was kind of confused. Uh, <laughs> right, like, how not to deliver a punchline. Let me try it again. Take two. Uh, no, Michael is not your son. He's Lynn's husband. Whew. Yes. Yes. Uh, And my mom, said, my, by the way, my mom tells this story all the time, so I'm not throwing her under the bus. Uh, she told me again last week when I was done. But uh, it, anyway, it hit her like a ton of bricks. And what was happening was my dad was saying, hey, don't forget when they got married, they crossed an invisible line in the unseen realm. There, there's a change and like, you're welcome to go in and see your son. He's not saying that I wasn't her son he was saying that there's a change of priority of relationship. And what he's basically saying is you're welcome in there if Lynn invites you. That's her husband. That relationship comes first. And my mom said when he said it, I was so angry. (laughs) She said, "But, but on the way home, I was thinking about it. And I was thinking, he is absolutely right. There's been a change. But I mean, here's what's going on. We've been married, I don't know, a year, less than a year, two years. I can't remember. It was was yet. She's been, I'm only 20. She's been taking care of me for 19 years. All of a sudden, you hit 19, and in her opinion, I'm getting married way too young. right? And, And now all of a sudden, this other woman's there, you know, taking care of my son. It's a hard change, isn't it? It's a hard change. Like 95%, if you do the math, 95%, she's taking care of me. And now this new 5 percenter goes to the front of the line. It's a hard change. And here's what I want you to catch. That it's so hard that most parents and kids don't get it right. They miss it. You go back to how many have to get it right? Six. Come from blended families, maybe it's eight or ten. Can I tell you one of the greatest gifts that my folks gave to Lynn and I as young marrieds? is our freedom. They gave us our space. They said, if you want to come over, we'd love to see you, but they never put pressure on us. They never gave advice unless we asked. They never put expectations on us. What you're not spending time with this side of the family, it's Christmas. We always do that. None of that. Their thing was, hey, you guys figure it out. You come first. You let us know what you want to do. And can I tell you something? Because they were like that, we wanted to spend every Friday night with them. Let me say this. This is not just something a parent's having to get straight on. This is something a young couple has to get straight on. Because often parents get this. Often they don't. But often parents will get it, but the kids don't get it. And so here's what happens, is that the wife cares more about what her mom thinks than what her husband thinks. The husband cares more about what his parents want than what his wife wants. And so they go through, and this becomes a major friction in their marriage, because they've never figured this out. No, it's you against the world. Hey, you're the two that's going to be, God, Lord willing, you're going to be growing old together. Everyone else is going to leave. You are the primary relationship. And that's what Moses is saying. A man has to leave his father and mother, cleave to his, the new home takes priority over the old home, right? And we all have to get this. And sometimes we have to have conversations. It starts with a conversation in our marriage. If we're not clear about this, we need to get clear on this, And then if parents are the violators, sometimes there has to be a time we have an honest conversation we say, hey, mom, I love you. Um, and I want you to be a part of my life. And I just, I treasure you and our relationship we've had. And I want you to be there. And I want to share my life and so on. But you need to understand you are pressuring us. And you're giving advice. It's not right. And you're leaning on us and you're trying to control our relationship. And I need to let you know if it comes to a choice between you and my wife, I will choose my wife. So I love you. I want a part but we just need to be clear on this because I believe that she is my most important relationship now and I need to stand with her. Those are not easy conversations to have. And you say, well, that could damage the relationship. Yes, it could. But catch this, if you don't have the relationship, you will, if that conversation, you will damage the most important relationship in your life. So nothing comes with me. So, so first competitor is parents. Second competitor is kids. You know, as followers of Jesus, if God blesses with kids, one of our highest callings in life is to love our kids and raise them for, for our creator. Uh, this is part of our kingdom, right? So, it's, so we love our kids. But I kind of tell you this, as much as, uh, as much as you love your kids, as much as you invest in them, you need to love your spouse more. And if there ever comes a kind of a, a rift between, a choice between spouse or kids, it needs to be spouse. And, and the kids need to know this. They need to know this. Hey, I love you. I care about, but someday you're going to grow up and leave me. Hopefully. <laughs> you know. Boomerang. Uh. So I love you, but I love your father. I love your mother. That, that's relationship, you know. And so, so kids can try to play this off, right? You've all had, if you have kids, you know this. They, try, they, they learn. a Mom's a soft touch or dad's a soft touch or whatever. And so they'll try to play it off. They'll try to get things from one or get things from the other. And here's where it gets really bad. Sometimes the mom or the father will say, hey, let's just keep this between you and I. It's fine, but don't tell your mother. Hey, This is fine, but don't tell your father. What you've just told the child is that you are more important. Your relationship with you is more important than this relationship. So as parents, we always need to have a united front on this. We need to be together. We love you. We love you to death. But, And you know what? Honestly, this is one of the greatest gifts you can give to your kids because there is a security that comes to a child that knows my parents love me to death, but they love each other more. There's a security that that brings to that home. It's unbelievable. It's an amazing gift. Um, Sometimes it comes from the kids themselves. Sometimes it can come from the parents. Um, A lot of you are are newly married. Uh, You're about to have kids, or uh, a lot of you uh, recently have had kids. Uh, This kid getting in the way thing can happen very early in a marriage. Uh, And the way it often happens is that, you know, when you have your first child, that all of a sudden a mother, because of her mother's heart, is just so attached to that young child that she can allow the child to become more important than the husband. And what this does is it it allows a rift and an alienation. All of a sudden you're six months in or you're nine months in and the husband feels like this is the biggest mistake ever made. It's like we used to be close, we used to be, be in love, we used to make love. And, and now it's like, all this is, everything's about the kid. And I'm over here, I'm, I'm off the sideline, and we're not making love, we're not having sex. And I'm over here, I'm, I'm like alienated, right? And so, so at this point, what do you have? You have a man who's alienated, not having his relational needs met, not having sexual needs met. That's a recipe for disaster, right? And we bring it on ourselves. Uh, sometimes this happens as parents in a, in a bad marriage. Sometimes the marriage is not going well, and so we decide, okay, well, we need to stay married. And so what I'm gonna do, the man decides, I'm gonna throw myself into my job, my career. And he starts developing relationships there and starts developing a sense of identity there, and I'll be successful there. And then the wife often throws herself into the kids. She's not getting a relational need, she's gonna get them to the kids. And all of a sudden you get up and you have an empty nest, and all of a sudden you look at one another, you don't even know one another. You haven't shared, all you've shared is the kids. You haven't shared your life, you haven't shared your heart, you haven't shared the journey, you haven't shared love, you may I even mean, share the bed on a regular basis, but you've shared your kids, and all of a sudden your kids leave and there's nothing left. And you get to that point and you'd be surprised how many, how many marriages end at point of empty nest or how many huge heartaches and rubble goes through empty, empty nest. And it's often a wake-up call, man, we have, we have got to invest in this marriage, we got to make this, we got to figure this thing out. And what it's done is the relationship with the kids has covered over the deficiencies in the marriage. We don't want to be in that spot, right? So kids, a third competitor, and this is kind of a, a broad category, um, but it doesn't involve people. It involves like activities or pursuits or other priorities. The third category would be outside interests. And so this would be any area of our life that um, becomes more important to us than the marriage, so it could be a career. Um, it could be a ministry. Um, it could be a hobby. Uh, it could be sports. Um, it could be uh, just some. It could be some other pursuit that becomes more important. Um, I, I see this a lot with young marriage. I think one of the biggest dangers of young marriage today is video games. Like uh, when I was growing up, my younger years, it's sports. Like you know, men are totally into sports, kind of couch potato, and the relationship's withering, and the guy's just all absorbed in sports, and that's still an issue in some marriages. Uh, I know it is because it's an issue in mine. Um, but um, <laughs> with the younger generation, those who are twenty-somethings, the bigger issue is video games. You've grown up with that, and and you've go going hours a night, and meanwhile your wife is in there, uh, just kind of like a video game widow, right? <laughs> I mean, there's, it's like this shared life thing is not happening because you're sharing life with all your buddies online. Now, it works the opposite way, right? Uh, many of your women, for you, it's uh, social media. For some of you, you spend hours on Facebook, right, with all your friends because <laughs> you're sharing the picture of your really cute cat that all of us need to understand. You know, and so it's like you'll go, you'll disappear like for hours, right? And this shared life that's supposed to be happening—what's happening is that you're finding refuge there, and you're finding relationship there. Right? So again, don't. This is not. This principle is not about video games. It's not about Facebook. The principle is about there. There could be a, it could be anything that becomes more important to where your spouse feels like you're not really emotionally available. We are not sharing our lives together. This is what's important. And can I tell you something? In most marriages where this is an issue, uh, your spouse is telling you about it all the time. It's not like you haven't heard it. It's like she's telling you. He's telling you. And you've chosen to ignore it. Like, well, did she ever tell you this before? Yeah, I think it was like 3,400 times. (laughs) But I didn't really think it was that serious. I thought she was just, you know. All right. Number four. The last one I'm going to give is one of the biggest dangers is another person. Now, this can be, um, it can be, like I said, it can be even a family member. It can be a mother-in-law. Not only a mother-in-law, it be a mother. Um, it, could be, uh, it could be a friend. Um, it could be, it doesn't have to be like an affair, but it often can be someone of the opposite sex that you draw closer to than your spouse. Um, and so it can be an emotional affair, it can be a physical affair, it could be both. Um, and, and so this is why, this is, of course, a, a, a huge danger. And uh, there's a reason why in the top 10, it says, uh, don't commit adultery. Uh, and the reason is, is because in our fallen human nature, there's a natural propensity to do this, right? Like God doesn't waste his time. He's not going to be a top 10 if it's not a danger. And so what, what happens, whether it's on the job, it's in, uh, it's, it's in a ministry setting, it's in a neighbor setting, uh, it's a friend of a friend thing, it's couple's friend, whatever the thing is, There's there's a danger that we always have to be on guard with is that this is why Proverbs 4 says, above all, guard your heart, because from it flows the wellsprings of life. The way I put it is when you lose your heart, you lose your head. You you look at a couple and you like, how did that ever happen? They seem so happy or whatever the thing was, and how how would that ever happen? And what happened is just gradually over time, someone became more important than the spouse. And so when you find yourself looking forward to talking to this person more than your spouse, if you find yourself uh, looking forward to hanging out with this person more than your spouse, when when you find yourself kind of dressing for this other person more than your spouse, uh, it should be like huge uh, warning lights on the dashboard of your life. Going, you know, danger, danger, you know? And we need to kind of pull back and establish some boundaries there because otherwise we're going to be that person that wakes up. And it's like, how do we get here? Right? Well, when you lose your heart, you lose your head, which is a way of saying when you, romance, romantic feelings are like, uh, they're, they're like being under the influence. And so we start making poor decisions and poor judgments. We can't see the ramifications. And let me say this. This is especially important, I think, today for online relationships. Because uh, many times we think it's safe. He lives in New Jersey. She's in Ohio. Nothing could ever happen, you know? Can anything good come out of whatever, you know. Uh, but what we don't realize is that it's in the sharing of souls that you create soulmates. And when you're texting someone all the time, when you're on Facebook with them all the time, when you're in chat rooms all the time, what you don't realize is there's this increasing level of intimacy that's going on. And what happens over time is you start to form an emotional bond that has a life of its own that begins to draw you in. And so you just need to be on guard. Right? And so let's not miss the big picture here. What I'm saying is that I've given you four examples. I'm sure you could think of many more. The big picture is that if we want to pursue God's vision for a marriage, rule number one is this relationship has to be the most important priority. I realize that Life is busy. Life is crazy. I get that. There's going to be seasons in our life. We have to throw ourselves more in our job or more in our kids This season or whatever. There's, I get all that. I'm not saying every day you're home at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon to have a date with your wife. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that over the course and the, the, the kind of the, the feel of your marriage, your spouse seems to feel like they're number one. And there in your, your uh, note sheet, there's a great quote from Tim Keller who wrote a recent book called The Meaning of Marriage. Tim is a, is a fantastic uh, pastor, author, really a bright Christian leader. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll be quoting him often in this series, but he says, your marriage will slowly die if your spouse senses that he or she is not the first priority in your life. And so what I want us to do as we kind of wrap up this time is I want to wrap up with a time of reflection. Next week we'll talk more about the shared life of uh, of friendship, Um, but for today I want you to take these three basic principles, that marriage is designed to be a great gift, not the only gift, but a great gift, and that if you're married, the goal is a shared life at every level, and that the first step is to make this relationship the most important relationship. We will build on that as we go through. As we go into this time of worship now, I want to have some time of reflection, here's what I want to challenge you. Uh, If you're single here, I I know that for many of you, this is a huge pain in your life. I'd love to be married. I can't be. And there's a temptation to let down your guard and to lower your standards just to get married. And I just want to challenge you that, hey, you need to come before the Lord today and say, here's my heart. This is hard. It's even hard here being hearing this, but I want to surrender to your leadership in my life and give you my heart because I want to do life your way. For some of us here, you're in a horrible marriage and you want to fix it, and your spouse doesn't. That's a very painful place to be. Some of you are here, and you're in a horrible marriage, and you both want to fix it. Some of you are here in a, in a kind of an okay marriage, but it's mediocre, it's just boring. Some of us are here in a, in a good marriage, and you want to go from good to great. But whatever, the, whatever you are in your marriage, what I want to do is finish up with a time of worship where we, we sing that song together, Here's My Heart, Lord, where we give our heart to Him as a church and say, we want, to, we want to embrace your vision. We want to surrender your vision for our lives, or single or married. We want to give you back our heart at the start of this journey that you can guide us to the place and the vision you have for our lives. Would you stand with me as we pray? Fathers, we come before you now. We, we pray that you'd be with us. We pray that you would give us grace now to trust you and surrender our lives in this important area of marriage, whether we're married or not married, we would surrender our lives and say, here's our hearts. We pray you'd meet us now, you'd guide us, you'd speak. As the song says, "Or speak what is true. That's our prayer, that during this time and during this week, you would speak into our life and our current situation, say, here is the truth about your situation, here is the next step for your life. God, and so as we pray, as we, we pray, as we bring our offerings, we pray you would speak what is true. Hey, I hope you can be with us next week as we continue, even more than next week, uh, this, this week. Next week, so we talk about the shared life and friendship. The relationships are going to be so, uh, 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 the relationships going to apply to so many relationships, uh, even outside of marriage. I want to challenge you. You know, sometimes we know as single adults, uh, when you come to something like this, there's a temptation even to skip and to say, hey, well, I'll pick it up after three weeks or something. And that is such a huge mistake. Because first of all, if you're single and God has marriage in your future, it's so important to get clear in his calling. But even more than that, even if that's not the case, we are the body of Christ. And you know, if we pick and choose what messages we come to, um, we're missing out because we're a community. We're called to function as a community, as a body, to speak into each other's lives, to encourage, to challenge, to warn, to rebuke. And it's so important that we all understand God's vision for this relationship. That as a body, we can speak into each other's lives. So regardless of your situation, I just want to challenge you. If you're married, you know, and you need to be here next week. I'm telling you, it's going to be good stuff. Uh, but even if you're single, uh, come, join us, learn, grow, be part of this movement that God is unleashing here. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. I'll see you next weekend.